Hi guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Mastering Agility Podcast, a podcast series that aims to inspire you and others by bringing in the best people of the business. Then make sure to go to the website of masteringagility.org, subscribe to the newsletter, get that OptiLearn discount code, as well as staying up to date with the latest information when it comes to this podcast. Today we're talking about a topic that a lot of organizations struggle with. Scrum itself is already hard to implement. Well, what's going to happen if you're going to be working with multiple scrum teams? It's going to be even harder. You need to be scaling. A lot of organizations struggle with that. But what makes it a struggle? What can we do about it? And what are things we need to consider? And to discuss that, we have Scrum.org's Patricia Kong and Yessa Howing to talk us through. Let's welcome them. Patricia Kong, Yessa Howing. Thank you very much for being here. I appreciate you guys taking the time. How are we doing today? Much better than last week. How are you, Patricia? (laughs) I'm doing well. Lovely to see your face is. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing better than last week. What was up last week, Yessa? Yeah, so while everybody around me is uh, um, uh, like like you, I I heard that you're not doing so well at the moment. but uh, um, I, I had a regular flu. Like, what are the chances? But uh, um, it completely floored me for three days and spent most of the time in bed. So uh, um, I'm, I'm happy to be up and awake again and uh, actually kind of bright eyes and stuff instead of just kind of just wanting to mm. sleep. Yeah. What's the general reaction that you get with a, with a common, common flu just, just from people around you? Um, m- most people say... Well, at least it's not COVID. Um, some people say, um, "Well, if if, it, if I, I um, n- now you know what it will feel like." And I'm, well, if this is what it feels like, this is this was already very bad. I, I don't want to repeat this. So. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Sounds fair. Yeah. It sounds like well, like we were saying, the flu is like COVID with no benefits if you get a mild, I suppose, case. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's like it's like a lot of people say. Poor you, and it's like you're lucky it's not COVID. And then at the same time, some people say, "Well, but so you got sick, and it wasn't COVID." It's 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 a very weird kind of um, uh, situation. But uh, yeah, it I've, still exists. Other diseases and just COVID. Yeah, didn't we obliterate that? The flu? Uh, yeah. No, I got that vaccine well, too. I'm like vaccinated <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Do you get these special badges for that as well? So now we're getting over this certi- certificate craze. Now we're going to go into vaccination badges. I, I saw this hype from the US where people starting to gloat with their flu shots and everything. People are so proud. I've got my COVID shot. I've got my <laughs> flu shots. I got everything. Oh, yeah. Scrum, yes. Scrum.org, you can roll out those, those, those Cradley badges. Maybe you can get kind of vaccination badges as well. Like uh, you can, you can show them on LinkedIn and stuff. This would be a perfect business model. Let's connect the government to Credly. They must yeah. have that. Do you think they have that for dating apps? Like we can show like a vaccination status or something. How do you I go to dating know. apps, uh, Patricia? <laughs> no, I'm I'm not on dating apps. But I'm saying <laughs> that would be a nice feature. It would be a oh, nice would, feature. No, my question was more: How do you go from COVID government to dating? Well, um, that's just the way my mind works. This is how it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, we warned you. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of warnings, there are quite a bit of warnings when trying to scale stuff. That's going to be the topic of today, hopefully. Um, Why should we even consider scaling and where do we start? You shouldn't. And don't just try to scale stuff. End of episode. Just don't (laughs) scale stuff, you know. Yeah, what would be the first? The reason why I ask is I see so many organizations just slapping an entire model, whether it's less or safe or Nexus or whatever, blindly on an entire department or an entire set of teams. Yeah, where do you start with scaling? What's for instance with Scrum? the, 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 The first question would be why? Right. So, and and kind of the same thing is with with scaling is. Um, if, if you have a why, if you have a good product and you have a, a, a good goal to accomplish and you've got great people that can work on that, then you start to get the foundations for scaling. But for many, many organizations that we work with, 
The reason isn't why. The reason is we've got 75 people that need work. So instead of finding kind of a reason for those 75 people to work together on something, the reason is we have 75 people that need to be kept busy. Um, and therefore, they think they've got a scaling problem. But you could just as easily kind of organize 10 individual scrum teams out of that and not have any scaling problems. I would say that the opposite I've seen can also be true. I was just moderating a panel about scaling in Nexus, and it was, oh, what's the difference between the scaling frameworks? How do you choose? But then, um, and the other one, like it wasn't, we have 100 people or 75 people. It's we have two teams. <laughs> How do we scale? How do we set up? And so it's almost, you know, process for the sake of process. Because if you're just thinking about the dependencies that you have when you're two teams working on the same thing, um, you know, you might not have what I would call like a, you don't need that scaling, all that overhead yet. And so I think those are the things that people have to think about if they're trying to scale what are the balances? What are the trade-offs that they're making? And if you're doing something poorly, like starting from Scrum, if you're doing half-ass, am I allowed to say that? If you're doing half-ass Scrum, you will be doing five times half-ass Scrum when you scale that um, and by the, a few And teams. then exponentially, right? So Yeah. This yeah. Isn't like I didn't do my math correctly, times. but it was, it was exponentially. I wasn't doing yeah. the math correctly. Would you then still end up with at least two and a half times scrum or would you go the other way around would you just have 0.25 scrum right something like that at some point yeah like the scaling I mean, the effectiveness of scrum oh wow yeah negative the, the, value yeah yeah that, that's the question that's my question indeed if you're going to scale by half-assing it is there still going to be some delivery delivery of value in other words is there still somewhere a vague business case for scaling with five teams to still get the value of two and a half, or is it going to go the other way around? Is it going to get more complicated with less value? The interesting thing is that many organizations will never know because they've never either been at that level or they start start to scale up. And while we're doing that, things were going better. Um, but at some point, things just started to collapse. It's also one of the, one of the things that we kind of look at in the, um, in the scale professional scrum class is kind of, you, you do need to measure these kinds of things. You do need to get kind of track of your of, of your data, but then still um, the, the whole environment around you changes because, well, it, it never, everything stands still. So uh, if the world around you keeps changing at some point, it, it might actually be that what used to be effective is no longer effective. So what we actually see in many organizations is that at some point they start to scale down again. And, and I think that there's lots of cases, um, and I think even the original FBI case study from, uh, from, from Ken has got like, they went to a tenth of the number of people and their productivity went up considerably. It's really interesting kind of, to see um, uh, those kind of things. And that's usually pe what people don't really think about when, when thinking about scaling. When people thinking about scaling, they think about adding more people and not thinking about managing the scale. And the scale can be very small and the scale can be very big. And you can manage kind of where in between you want to be or where you should be. And if you don't manage that, the scale will manage you at some point and just kind of tell you this is no longer working. And then you're going to have to act on that. Yeah. I th it makes me think about what you just said. And this is very, you know, theoretical. But um, when I was talking to a woman who she was using Nexus um, at her company, and she said, you know, at different, different companies she's used it. And the question she brought up was, are you trying to scale control? Or are you trying to actually scale self-management? And so there is a time when you will find that scaling is appropriate. And the question then is, you know, when is that time appropriate? So that, that managing, you know, and the, the notion of measuring what you're doing so that you know how to take next steps and make those decisions is, 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 is important. Absolutely. Then what is that point where you can start scaling or start growing? I mean, what what would be the prerequisite? Ideally, of probably course, a, in ideal situations. Probably a really well working Scrum team. 
with a well-organized, well-built, well-constructed uh, increment, whatever that may be. Um, in, in many cases, it'll be software. Um, but uh, um, yeah, and then you can start to scale. And then it's kind of the first thing that you could look at is if you've got an established thing and you don't really need to work really hard on a single thing, but there's multiple things that you can kind of spread your uh, attention on. If the product's built in a way that people can work independently of that, then just scale horizontally. Have teams work side by side, kind of on the same thing, ish, feature area or part of the product or something. But just that, don't have them all be working all in the same place. But if they, if there is something really big that you need to invest in, and it's kind of everybody needs to be able to step on each other's toes, then in that case, that's when I'd, I'd really consider scaling. That's when multiple teams working very closely together in the same area with many chances of kind of stepping on each other's toes and many dependencies and 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 and, and, and things that need to be aligned across these teams that's kind of what we consider scale and in the other cases if you've got teams that can independently work from each other then well m- maybe that's not really scaling per se it's, it's it's at least a different kind of scaling than how many people perceive it um, but both have kind of uh, pros and cons Patricia, what would I mean, you consider I've, to be a fair or a good working Scrum team to to start scaling? Well, I would want to see. Uh, actually, before I answer that, I, I what Yes was saying made me think of these companies um, that I was talking to, where they will scale, and we're not even talking about just this notion of like, you know, they're building a product. Um, you know, one product is that they there's this notion that this demand is going to come. So they will scale and hire hundreds of people because they think that they're going to to need them. But with the knowledge that they will probably let go of, you know, 30% of that workforce. And so they will make that decision to hire all those people, train up all those people, and then let them go. And, you know, that's a strategy that some large companies um, will take and, they feel that then at least they have everybody on the same knowledge level. They understand the stuff. They can kind of move in the same direction. And and I don't know if that's going slower or faster. Kind of what Yesa was saying is that, you know, sadly, they'll never know. But for me, and Yesa pounds on this all the time, this, this topic of looking at the increment and then the definition of done. So when you're looking at that from single team, from many teams working together, should it be on the team? Should it be on the product? There's so many things um, that that we're looking at, but it, it leads me, what you're talking about makes me think about another question that I usually get asked when it's about, you know, a scrum team, right? So scrum teams working well, they're actually building something of value. Um, and all of a sudden, for some reason they decide, you know, there's something else coming up. They need to add more people to the team. Um, they do that, they split off or, you know, all sorts of scenarios that they can, they can use to scale is, um, People often ask me, and I don't know if you guys get this, like, how do you scale the values, Patricia? How do you scale the Scrum values? And I used to really just not know what to say. Like, you can't just teach people. Like, it's not like I can just, it's not like I have a, the, the Nexus guide is the Bible and you believe or you don't believe. What do you guys think? I think there's a really interesting case to think about. Um, for instance, look at companies like SpaceX or like Apple. I'm curious to see if their their values and their culture has really changed their mindset compared to when Steve Jobs, for instance, started. They were rebellious. They were on the driving edge of uh, innovation, and they still are. Can you then just change those values be- because of uh, because of scaling, or do you scale those values, or are they going to stay the same with just a scaled amount of people? What's your take, uh, Yessa? That's an interesting question. Um, what I find interesting is that I do think that there is a big difference in um, look, looking at kind of the company culture and and how things are working. One really interesting example in this area has been um, um, Microsoft, Microsoft's acquisition of GitHub, um, and then uh, they moved the whole Azure DevOps engineering department into uh, GitHub as well. Um, and it's really interesting kind of to see the differences in the original Microsoft culture and the uh, internal GitHub culture. Um, 
and, and it, it's even reflected in the tools. It's kind of really interesting just to look at, at, at some of the things like that, kind of the, the tools coming out of those organizations. Um, Azure DevOps has a structured and layered kind of tree-based uh, work item structure with epics and features and user stories and tasks and tests and kind of everything's related and there's links and there's a lot of structure. Um, and GitHub has flat lists of issues and then you can make them whatever you want. And... Um, so it's 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 kind of really interesting to, to to see how these how these things are different. I I understand from from uh, from from friends that work at GitHub, everything's a pull request. You want to order a T-shirt, you file an issue, or you create a pull request where you kind of said this is the number of T-shirts I want, and this is uh, this is the size I want them in, and then somebody merges that, and that results in those T-shirts being shipped. And it's like that's just amazing. It's 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 their whole internal. Um, a tool, but also their culture and, and kind of how that works is kind of all kind of linked to uh, and and, but it also it's also reflected in the average age. Um, the GitHub organizations are relatively just much younger, um, so it's 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 just super interesting to kind of see those 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 two different worlds kind of combining, and uh, um, and 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 seeing some people just kind of go, whoa, this is this is just not for me. Other people go, oh, this is really interesting, but um, I just feel a little bit old for it. Um, and uh, uh, so th- th- it's th- these kind of changes they do happen, but usually they kind of require these kind of really big changing events, like a new CEO or, um, and not just kind of one CEO just handing the baton to another one, but it's really kind of uh, um, these. Uh, like company takeovers, events, and stuff where um, uh, it's really big changes happen, or uh, um, kind of the the market completely changing, or the product almost going under and then surviving, and then kind of something completely new emerges out of that. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it, without something like that, it requires so much force, or and it's probably much better. Um, so much leading by example um, to actually get a culture to change. It's very difficult to force people to change. Um, so uh, um, kind of, you're going to have to really lead by example, and that re- that's just just not just the CEO in that case. But I'm probably going to they need all of their managers to kind of lead by example, and then they need to get all their people to lead by example. And that kinda, especially in kind of a structured organization got like 18 levels of management it takes a while for that to trickle down <laughs> and, uh, so, and 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 hopefully some of that can also happens bottom up and then you can meet each other in the middle and if then kind of the thing that's coming up is the same that's coming down then kind of you shake hands in the middle and everybody's happy but in many cases what's kind of uh, comes bottom up uh, it might not be exactly what's happening from top down and at some point kind of the mess happens somewhere in the middle <laughs> So it's yeah. really interesting. Well, I mean, it was one of the things that that you know, like I got to talk to Sander um, recently, and it was it was something I was thinking about because I was um, I was having coffee with Ken Schwaber recently, and he and I were talking about values, and he said, you know what, if if you don't have the mindset there, then and I think he's talking more about as individuals um, and as maybe a team. If you don't have the mindset there, then the process doesn't really matter. Uh, Cause it's not going to, you know, happen. Like if we're talking about the scrum values, this is for scrum. Scrum is really about, you know, driving focus to get things done in his opinion. And so, you know, it's, 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 it's looking at those things that, that can drive in to make things transparent so that we can, we can operate as human beings. And, and um, you know, some of the stuff that you can look at when we're trying to preserve self-management, which was the fractal that we were trying to scale um, when Ken and I were working with others to, to build it. And it was, it was really um, self-organization at that time, self-management, but it was, it was like, okay, so if we're doing that, then maybe one of the things that we can figure out is how empowered are the teams as they're, as they're scaling. So now we can look at things like how long does it take to make a decision? How do we change things? And, um, one of the, the, the things that I've seen come across is a lot of people are interested, for instance, in Nexus, and this is the presumption that people actually know what Nexus is, especially in the Netherlands, but um, is why, for instance, and yes, I think this is a, a great thing for you to tap on, is why did we decide to change the Nexus Sprint retrospective into not prescribing it to have three parts? Why did we say 
it should be one part when it's so important um, for us to collectively inspect and adapt uh, as a nexus and then within our teams. Maybe before digging into that, maybe it's good to give, especially listeners who are not aware or in, in generally aware of how the nexus framework looks like, just give them a, a global overview of the framework itself. Talk us through it. Um, Nexus is um, many things. For us, it's a framework that um, has minimally formalized and added um, some things to the Scrum framework to help multiple teams, about three to nine, uh, whatever works, but three to nine teams to, um, to work together to um, create some value for their organizations and customers off of one product backlog. So they're using Scrum, they're working on one product, one initiative, pulling work off of a single product backlog. It means that they have a single product owner. Um, and that's really, that's really all it is. It's a formality of the things that we've understood from, you know, over 20 years as at, at scrum.org as a, as a large group. And it's really trying to understand, um, you know, what organizations need organically to to make sure that we're paying attention to the thing in our opinion that kills scaling, which is dependencies. So it's trying to really focus on integration of um, people and product. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I did a really bad pitch. Do you want to add something? Well, we, we it, it, it basically looks at where um, uh, Scrum starts to buckle um, when multiple teams are working together. And then... Um, um, we we can suggest and, and I think that's where kind of the the other discussion comes in. We suggest some small changes to help kind of support some of the communication things. For example, that might be very difficult if every team has their independent daily scrum um, and doesn't talk to each other. Then it becomes very difficult to solve any integration issues before they really become a problem. So you need something else. Um, for wh where you can raise the transparency about things where something might not be working that that might be causing something to kind of cascade across the teams um and there's many different ways that you could solve that um but the way that um, we solved it is what we call the um nexus daily scrum uh, which just happens before the daily scrums and everybody kind of comes together and says is there anything that we need to kind of take into account when planning for the day uh, is there anything that might be um, hindering other people, other teams, or is there any kind of new information that came up that everybody must know, must be aware of? And then with that information, we then go into a normal kind of daily scrum. Um, but without that information, chances that you'll kind of plan something, then figure out that there is something bigger going on and then kind of have to replan everything for the whole day again. Um, it's just a little bit too big. And that same pattern kind of repeats it for all of the events in scrum. Um, so uh, uh, same for planning. Um, if you're planning in one team and you don't have any dependencies, it's easy. As soon as you've got dependencies across teams, you've got some things to align. So how do you fix that? And then that gets kind of taken into into account. But it's a very minimal framework. So there's other scaling frameworks out there that are trying to kind of solve how to work together across a whole enterprise, um, every layer of the organization and everything. Um, and, and, and that's just too prescriptive. So we try to do just the minimal thing to help you scale multiple teams on a single backlog with a clear mission, working closely together on one thing. Digging or chipping into that, that entire enterprise thing and keeping things minimalistic, how does leadership tie together with this or HR, for instance? Because those departments or the, the more traditional ways of working are still involved. Um, you already mentioned lead by example how do you lead by example when it comes to this what would you need from management or from leadership to be able to support this and maybe even a worse question how often do you see managers or leaders indeed leading this change by going to the course first before scrum masters or any other role accountability sorry um <laughs> i think it 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 depends um <laughs> are you so a consultant then <laughs> <laughs> at heart yes i am um the what i'm thinking about is you know what maybe it doesn't involve any of those people i've definitely seen um you know there was this client in 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 um asia where they started trying 
themselves, you know, with scrum masters and their agile coaches to organize themselves in a little bit of a different way. It was only, I think, three teams and they just started to see much more results than they were before. They were actually getting stuff done. So it was, you know, they used to never produce anything like in a month. They would never learn anything. And then they started to get down to, you know, actually being able to release and they were building an app. And so they were able to say, you know, management started to see what is this team doing? And then they started to get buy-in that way. Um, when we're talking about, you know, let's just say services or something else, you can see that we've, we've definitely seen maybe marketing use something like Nexus. But when you're saying, hey, we're building something and we need the input for marketing, We've seen ways where they might say, hey, how could we um, how could we have a conversation where marketing people are working with the teams and they're they're in there. So they've been involved in Nexus, a place where uh, SE used to work. They've actually arranged something um, called the Nexus Plus. So it was several Nexuses working together for their their agile transformation. And there the CEO was the product owner. And I've seen different instances uh, of that, too, in some format where you know, they brought in um, an executive who was participating and really understanding. And I've seen some executives who are really resistant against that. But when they saw that working this way and having being able to align and have those conversations, just using this process made sense to them, that started to to get buy in. The other thing that I've seen is um, if teams are using scrum and they understand that there's an automatic ROI there. So it makes sense for the business because it's going to feel very, you know, it's going to feel very natural because what you need to get started with Nexus is basically your teams, the Nexus integration team, understand who's going to be that cadence definition of done, right? A product backlog that you're going to work off of. But it's, it's this notion of, you know, I don't think, you know, for HR, you know, maybe their understanding of, of what, these things mean is more important than, you know, how do they sit there and decide to organize everybody in a nexus, which would be counter to productive. The definition of done itself, initially the definition of done comes from the development organization. If it's not there, then the team forms it. How does this work with nexus? Do you bring the entire development effort together, all those teams and say, Hey, we, we need something. How does this work? It's, it's this is a really interesting one. Um, it, it's also the the, the the Scrum Guide never has has never really been very clear about what definition of done applies to. Even the current Scrum Guide mentions that when a user story is done or when a product backlog item is done, um, and then an increment is born, and then the increment's done. That's basically kind of the the thing, um, unless you're working on multiple things at the same time, because then even though you think you might be done with your user story or your product backlog item or your whatever it is that you're going to have there, <laughs> the um, the increment might actually contain both the done work and some undone work, and therefore you might not be able to ship it. Um, so then the increment's not done. Um, and, uh, um, and and this is kind of a, a critical part of, of thinking about done is, do we have an increment that can be shipped? So if that's in a single team working with individuals on individual product backlog items or in small sub-teams working on individual product backlog items, you already need to synchronize the work and integrate that in order to kind of make sure that not just the thing that you were working on is done, but that everybody has kind of reached this state of done so that you have got something that you can ship. Um, if you scale that to multiple teams uh, with multiple people working in multiple teams on multiple things at the same time, Kind of in the worst case, everybody working on, on their own thing. Think about that. It's like you could be working on 81 different things if you had like nine teams of nine people. Um, and then in order to be able to ship that, you'd have to align across all of those people and integrate all of that work. Um, and if if you didn't, then you might be releasing something that is, that contains stuff that um, that was absolutely not ready to do so. So there's, of course, a lot of trickery that you can do with kind of if you if you go into the software realm with branching and feature toggles and uh, um, uh, 
things like dependency injection and uh, um, all kinds of configuration options that you can think about and uh, branching by abstraction and all these all these different things that you could try to apply. You could even deploy things side by side, use microservice architectures and kind of go go all haywire. There's, there's, a, there's a gazillion ways in which you can kind of separate all that work and, and really make it that if somebody thinks that they've got something that can be released, that they can release it. Um, but but that kind of means that you do have to define what done means across all of those things, because that is the thing that must be done. You you can't just say, "I done my part, so I'm going to ship it," and then if the the thing kind of falls over in production, say, "Well, <laughs> that was somebody else's fault," <laughs> and 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 especially at scale. Uh, thinking about that is if, if you make a mistake and you're working with four people, then you can fix it quite easily. And then maybe those four people are involved with that. If you're working with 80 people or even bigger, um, some of the organizations work with up to 300 people working on a single product. And if somebody broke the build, that would probably mean that like 280 people weren't getting any feedback for a couple of hours in some cases. And that would really slow them down. So uh, even if the whole product wouldn't be done, uh, actually just getting your feedback and getting that feedback cycle uh, and, and getting that feedback quickly was was incredibly important. So for some people to actually just sometimes even deliberately breaking the build um, and then having to ha- having to fix it um, was just kind of slowing a lot of people down. So the, the cost of those kind of things just becomes also a lot, lot higher. And it's kind of an interesting aspect to think about is you want to become really good at delivering a done product. Um, but that means kind of done across all of those different levels and layers and things. So we want to have a definition of done that describes the increment. And the increment in Scrum is the thing that you deliver collectively as a Scrum team, and in our case as a Nexus. So the Nexus needs to agree on what done means, and they need to create a definition of done for that. Maybe there are some parts that say this is additional rules for the back end, and this is additional rules for front end that don't apply to the back end and stuff like that. That's okay. But um, all of those things need to apply when we ship something. How does this work together with hardware, for instance? Harder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Why why harder? Well, in in, in many cases, the hardware is not... I've worked with a number of organizations working with hardware, and in those cases, um, the hardware wasn't optimized for agility. The hardware was being optimized for low cost, which in many cases meant that a lot of decisions had already been made, that the amount of memory that would be available on the hardware would be very limited, that the uh, uh, processor power on the hardware would be very limited, and that the processors had already been ordered a year and a half in advance. So actually deciding, oh, we're going to need something else anyway would be a really expensive decision. So... um, um, it, it, that just means that there's some parts that can be agile and some parts that can't be or have a much longer lead time to be agile. And that also means that some of those decisions, if you want to change them, they just take a lot longer for them to change and it takes a lot longer to get feedback. And you're going to have to make a lot of gambles. Like we think that we might actually make it work on this amount of memory and on that CPU with so many connector pins and so many thingies. And um, and then it turns out that you need two more pins. Oh, it's just going to be such a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. Good luck with that. Yeah, I, I, I had a person in class who, who'd, who'd been working on a vacuum cleaner, for example, and um, at, at a big company, among other things, built vacuum cleaners. And one of the things he'd been tossed about was, can, can you get the heat center that's next to the motor? Can you kind of um, factor it out that will reduce the cost by like three cents per unit sold? Um, but that thing was there to prevent fire. So uh, if the motor overheated, then that thing would trigger kind of the, um, the the power to be shut down, so that the vacuum cleaner wouldn't co- wouldn't catch fire. So they basically had to remove the sensor that would save three cost uh, three three euro cent per per unit sold, and then figure out how to kind of change the hardware so that it wouldn't catch fire, and still kind of be within regular within regulations. Um, so if, if it's these kind of margins that you're looking for, that's also a very different kind of agility. And I've often seen, if, if you look at companies like, for example, Microsoft with the Xbox, that was built completely the other way around. When they, when they launched the first Xbox, it was a way overpowered machine. 
it had too much CPU, it had too much memory, it's too 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 fast a graphics card. Heck, the drivers hadn't even been invented to use some of the features that had been baked into the silicon. Um, and and that was also because that machine had to kind of sit in the living room for like two or three years and still be interesting and still receive interesting new features after two or three years because there was this kind of service along with it and you could upgrade it and you could install new features on it and people would actually do that um, and pay for that as well and buy new games for that that required those features. And it's just a very different kind of operating model and it's much easier to be agile <laughs> when you've got this huge headroom on, on your hardware. Um, so uh, I, I I do see that for Agile to work really well in a hardware environment, uh, you either need to be able to uh, create very s- quick prototypes for things and be able to kind of try things um, and not have the cost of kind of having to produce a gazillion of them, um, or uh, to not really use cost as your kind of limiting factor. And that just gives you so much more headroom to actually build cooler products in which it also becomes much easier to become more Agile. It's kind of... Yeah. I saw, um, I was also working with the robot company years ago and it was definitely, let's train up all the software, you know, um, software teams and in Scrum and they got in, they were so excited and it would just, you know, they're sending their information somewhere to die and they never saw their, their actual product, um, improve, but the, there, there has been when we started to introduce things like Nexus and Nexus Sprint Planning, and we're going to have a Nexus Sprint Goal, and we're going to have you know a team that actually talks about all these things together, and let's let's break these things down, and let's use simulators and all these different things. We we, we definitely saw some saw some improvement, and again, some of these different things came down to um, decision making and how long it would, you know, what kind of trust we had in to, to, to which people and which, which areas rather than, you know, there's a product owner of everything. Um, or there's this one chief product owner that can make all these decisions. There was, there's just, there's a little things that people are going to have to figure out what works for them. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that that notion of alignment and getting people actually talking together was so foreign at the beginning for this group. Um, when they're actually just working on this, this, this one product. And, and it brings it back to leadership, right? Like this notion, I think of leadership, you know, there's one way to say leadership are those people that are wearing suits and very fancy. And then there's this people who are leading and actually, you know, understanding the change and the influence and the, the effects that they're trying to, um, trying to cause or affect there's, there's, you know, like if you are people, for instance, in, in the role in, in Nexus, the Nexus integration team, those people were trying to like, when, yes, I was talking about those nine teams, there have already been people like, Hey, let's think about this. Let's think about those together. I see people trying to lead that change already. And that's why some of those things were formalized into the, the Nexus framework, because the risk um, is pretty big on the other end when you, when you don't. What was the, what was the point for scrum.org where they figured, Hey, we need to create a scaling framework. There are so many scaling frameworks out there at this point, what was the reason for scrum.org to figure, Hey, we need something here. Okay. So insert many jokes that I would uh, be in trouble for saying here. We'll just let me get that in my system a little bit. Shake, shake, shake. Okay. Um, honestly, it was because when, um, when everybody, what was this? 10 years ago, I don't know. Everybody's like scaling, scaling, scaling. Oh, big agile transformation. And, um, we're going to spend a lot of money and do all these things. This is the right way. And what Ken, Ken was really thinking was, um, everybody's talking about scaling, but can they start with the smallest bit, which is actually getting a few teams to work together and get something right. It's like, you can have one kid that's easy to, well, not easy, but two kids. Now it's a lot harder, three kids. It's like that. Right. So it's just like, can you manage one at a time what that might look like? And what would you have to think about because of all the other things that, we know exists within an organization, like, you know, besides, besides like legacy stuff, there's also just culture and what you're actually trying to build and what you're trying to do. So um, when we think about these things, these different dynamics and how you manage dependencies or how you look at these things, it's, it's really from the aspect of organizational product and technical stuff. We try to break things down as simple as possible. So you don't have to scale in the first place. I would say that that's, that's another message that we probably want to drive is, 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 is don't do it if you don't need to not about children, but just about 
adding teams. Yeah, well, I like the analogy with kids. I mean, if you're going to go with one kid, that's going to be relatively smooth sailing. But if you're going to do an entire daycare at once after just having one kid, it's going to be very different. Yet that is what most organizations try to seem to at least try to be pulling off. Like yeah. we have done Scrum, we know how this works. All right, now the ent- the entire enterprise. Let's do it. It's, it's really be interesting. Easy. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a talk from Roy Oshirov that he gave at the ALM summit a long time ago, um, and and it's, it's literally about about kids and kind of how that scales. And so I go, I, I I got one kid, and uh, I had to relearn how to do everything because all of my normal uh, habits and practices no longer applied. So now I had to reinvent myself, and um, and that applies within an organization as well. So you're gonna have to reinvent your technical practices and your collaboration practice and, and all of that. And then I got the second kid, and um, and we thought this is gonna be easy because um, one person can take care of one and the other can take care of the other. So if we just apply the same thing that we already do, but kind of split it and split our, t- our, our attention, then we can fix that. But it turns out you're not always there with the two people. So, um, and it turns out that the kids don't really want to listen to each other kind of and arrange that they're that everything's the same so you had to relearn everything again and then so, so now we nailed it and he got his third kit and said now we know how to do this so there's this this can't go wrong we we nailed down all of our processes we know we know how it works and then he got the third kit and he said and i've got a new problem because while you're holding one kid in one hand and you're trying to catch the other one uh, with your other hand the third one just jumps under a bus um, so, uh, uh, and that was something that he just, kind of, it is, and, and, and he kind of took that analogy. I'm, I'm not sure at how many kids he is right, right now, but, uh, um, uh, I, and that friends is the difference between yeah. Yeah. <laughs> adding those ankle bracelets of manage micromanagement. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is, it's, well, it's, it's a yeah. good question. What, what's the difference between save and nexus? And I mean, if you look at the annual state of agility, that report, um, Nexus has a marginal market adoption. While my experience, my experience is that at least eight out of ten safe implementations. And sorry, scaled agile. I don't want to bash your framework, but at least eight out of those ten implementations could be done by Nexus. The same level of quality or better. I mean, it depends. Um, on if you trust and think about the reports that are all out there, because I am so surprised on and on again, when one um, people are just like, yeah, we're using Nexus. So it's not getting reported necessarily, necessarily because it's, it's like, Oh, we're using scrub. Now we understand there's these things from Nexus. We're going to organize that way. And by the way, management thinks we're doing safe or we are doing safe when we're using Nexus when we're looking at the teams to solve that problem. Okay. Um, since the pandemic, something interesting has been happening where I've seen, um, you know, people were trying to figure out how they could do more by spending less money. And so some of the safe implementations, the complexity that that added because they were losing staff that got replaced by just, Hey, we're going to try this again. We're just going to take this piece and use Nexus. So I've seen that too. But the other thing is, is that, you know, maybe it's that we're trying to solve different problems. Um, Nexus is really about how do a, how do some teams come together and build one thing, and how do you figure that out? Um, working organically, preserving bottom-up intelligence, doing what needs to to do, and you know, safe is looking at another problem to solve. Um, and maybe that fits into certain cultures, and it'll move away from there. But um, I think that that's all that I would say about that. But yes, I can say a lot, <laughs> a lot more. Very PC, very PC. It, it's interesting. I've um, I've been part of a couple of big safe implementations where the teams were doing Scrum and they were doing Scrum quite well. So they asked what they should change. And they said, well, just keep doing Scrum really well. And then if your management can figure out what what to put on the product backlog, and um, every three quarters, every quarter we get together and we kind of look at kind of the longer term things. And in the meantime, we'll just keep doing Nexus and we'll align the work and we'll make sure that we kind of get our dependencies in line. And we kind of ignore the fact that we do need that we we can, as, as they kind of said, I'm not sure if that's still kind of a thing, but um, um, uh, it was uh, um, plan on cadence release on demand. Sure. Right. We can release whenever we want. So that's compatible with Nexus. And we plan on cadence, which is we have a sprint uh, planning every every sprint, which is our cadence. 
um, it aligns perfectly. And now we just need to get a lot of trust so that we can have a lot of influence on what we do put on the backlog and what we don't put on the backlog. And then we've got these wonderful, very big program increment planning events. We just plan kind of the first sprint really well, kind of same as the next sprint planning. And then we do a rough outline of what comes after in the two or maybe three sprints coming after that, um, where we kind of take into account that for the um, last few sprints, we probably can't really say anything. So kind of you get this... 80% planned, 60% planned, 30% planned, 20% planned, something like that. Um, and it looks a lot like um, uh, cross-team refinement. It's just, it happens slightly differently. And then suddenly, if you really start to think about it, these these things, they're not so different from a team perspective. It's just that there's all of these different kind of puppets and roles and other things that um, in Scrum we solve kind of as a cross-functional team where we try to self-manage, self-organize how to solve these kinds of things, where safe kind of provides you an optional thing that you could choose um, or not. Um, and then if you're self-organizing, mm. then you can try it. And if it doesn't work, try something else. And the worst thing is to do something knowing that it doesn't work and hoping to get better results. Um, so, uh, and, and, and I think that that's something where, um, where in many Scrum teams we're seeing that that's already hard in Scrum, right? There's so many teams that I, I, I see doing planning poker sessions during sprint planning. And then you ask them, so how useful was this? Well, it wasn't very useful. So why do you do it? Because we had a agile coach slash Scrum master uh, eight years ago train us and tell us that this is how we had to do things. So we've been doing this for eight years, but we never really understood why we're doing it. And it's like, <laughs> hmm. Really interesting. So why didn't you decide mm -hmm. to work in a different way? And, and this, this kind of applies the same at kind of the safe level is they're providing all of these handholds that you can try. But if they don't work, you're going to have to invent something else yourself. And yeah, it's funny that people get trained. Well, ne Nexus approaches it from the other way around. We say Nexus is very simple. You're going to bump into a lot of problems. And now you're going to have to figure out how to solve those. Um, and then maybe you'll solve those by putting a person in place that you say this person's going to keep keep watch on that and we're going to give that person a fancy title if that's what works for your organization then <laughs> i won't hold you but um, um it, it's not that we provide you kind of this is the solution that will work everywhere we work in a complex environment if there were kind of perfect solutions then um we wouldn't still all be trying to find out kind of what works and what doesn't work and, and every organization would be the same and and if you look at it every organization is different every organizational culture is different so you can't just apply kind of the same solutions and say if you've got this problem here's the solution it, it, it can't work or it shouldn't at least. just you want just yeah, you want that was, no i just want i mean a few things besides the fact that i love how direct the dutch are it's <laughs> it's that um one Nexus is not there to give everyone a job and Nexus is not there for everything to have a purpose nor scrum. Um, and those are the things we're going to figure out. And then two, actually, you know, if we're going to talk about the framework, it's, we actually build that in. So for instance, this, this extra role and the, the, the notion of accountability for the Nexus integration team as it's existing, um, it should evolve. We would expect that the people in that team to evolve outside of the product owner. And so that's the thing is that we're saying, things change, work changes, um, you should think about that. And so so those are the things that we're trying to put in there, not that once you have a structure, it's there. And I mean, the other thing that I've noticed is just basically, you know, we have clients, people have clients, and those clients either, um, you know, invested a lot of money in SAFE, and if SAFE doesn't work, they're in trouble. So so they, they should figure out how to make that, that work best for them. Yeah, it's funny also to the, the to coming back to your example, yeah, so that people get trained to do a trick, to execute a framework, to do something by the book. Yeah. They do not get trained to think of themselves or by themselves. Yeah. Now, I want to be respectful of your part time. Of training people. The hardest part of training people is I can give them a solution that I learned after months of trying things and tell them this is what worked for me. But then they haven't done that journey. So they're going to try, and maybe there's all kinds of other stuff that I consciously or unconsciously am doing or not doing because I've had that journey. And it's something I believe in because I've already seen that these other things don't work. If you've got a team and half of your team doesn't believe me, the other half of the team have half understood you, 
and there's a few people who really understand it, but it turns out that that technique's just not for them, then <laughs> that's just not going to work. And they're, they're going to have to find it out for themselves. So if you've just been, if somebody teaches you a trick, even if they teach you it really well, um, you only know that trick and you don't really know why that trick and in which cases that works and in which cases it doesn't. You, you, you can't teach people all of that. Um, without teaching them how to kind of um, uh, how to kind of fish, you know? the, um, mm. that probably gets to why safe is so global, right? Moral. Like a lot of people just the moral of the story is empiricism is super scary. Mm-hmm. Having that said, I want to be respectful uh, respectful of your time. If people want to know more about Nexus, about the framework, where can they look at? Um, so scrum.org, we have the Nexus guide. There's a podcast, uh, where we talk about some of the changes and why we did it. There's, um, on that page, the Nexus resources page, it's, um, there are a lot of case studies. There is a link to, you know, several practices, um, that people can try, uh, in a work for works for them. And I think, yes, uh, we just did, I just moderated a panel on scaling. That was really interesting. Hardware, software stuff came up. And then, yes, I think you're on the next one yep. where, um, in a couple of months, nice. we're going to be doing on scrum.org, ask a PST. That's a podcast that we have. And so you, um, they're, they're able to actually listen to that after or participate live. I'm assuming this will get released in the next two months. Um, so they can, they can think about it, try it, ask some questions there, um, to learn more. Awesome. I'll include the links, uh, in the show notes. Guys, thank you very much for this interesting talk. Again, I'm convinced that Nexus could be useful in way more organizations than it is currently. So I would like to encourage people that are listening, that are now interested, have a look in this framework. Yes and Patricia both are excellent trainers when it comes to this framework. Um, I'll include some links on trainings as well. Thank you guys. I really appreciate you making the time to be here. Wonderful. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. I hope you guys found this useful. I know I did. Next week is going to be the last episode of this year. I hope I can welcome you guys back then. Until then, make sure to go to the website of masteragility.org, subscribe to that newsletter, get the OptiLearn discount code for all their Scrum.org-related courses, as well as staying up to date with the latest information when it comes to this podcast series. For now, I wish you a really nice week. Hope you're going to be back next week.